Get ready to enjoy an earful of auditory indulgence as you explore Tom Moon's book, 1,000 Recordings to Hear Before You Die, presented in cooperation with Workman Publishing. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the 1,000 Recordings podcast, episode number 36. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman, and with me, as always, is my co-host, the clandestine Mitchell Davis. Hey, what is going on? Wow. I know. Been a while. (laughs) Been a long time. I know, man. It's been a couple months. Um, Yeah. Happy New Year to to those that we have not heard from or spoken to or interacted with for so long, man. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, first episode of 2013, and hopefully uh, we can continue rolling. I've had... A very busy couple months. Uh, I won't really go into why they've been so busy, but, um, but yeah, but very busy couple months. But I think uh, uh, we are ready to start up again and uh, you know do the podcast and get it rolling again. So yeah. yeah, yeah, same here, same here. Just oh man, all kinds of stuff going on. Like you said, just I mean, we could spend an entire show. I'm sure you know talking about you know. <laughs> being busy yeah um, but instead but, uh, let's talk about music exactly exactly <laughs> so uh yeah we're gonna keep it rolling man with uh uh brazilian artist dorval came probably I'm, I'm gonna mispronounce a lot of stuff on today's show <laughs> just as like a disclaimer um <laughs> that's our first album his or his album came a sale vilao uh, then we're going to move on to French romantic composer Emmanuel Charbrier, his opera Le Roy Malgré Lui. Uh, then we're going to move on to another Frenchman <laughs> from our own time, uh, Manu Chao, his album Clandestino from 1998. Then we're going to move back to the United States with Tracy Chapman, her debut album uh, from 1988. And then we're going to end with um, really kind of American popular music giant Ray Charles. Uh, the best of Ray Charles, The Atlantic Years, released in 1994, but uh, mostly stuff that he did in the 50s. Mm. Uh, and uh, so let's get right into it, man, uh, with Brazilian Dorival Kami, his album Kami e Seu Vailau, which I think pretty much means kami and his guitar i think is what Mm. that means uh which is a very apt description i mean it's just really him and his guitar and nothing else um kami was born in 1914 died in 2008 uh he was born in kind of a coastal region of brazil called salvador de bahia um which i guess is famous now for their beaches and you know a lot of people go there pristine waters um, but it's a big fishing, uh, traditionally fishing economy. A lot of people there, you know, live and die by the sea. And uh, a lot of his songs are about these people and these lives, mm-hmm. these people who, whose lives depend on the sea and, uh, and that culture around that region. Um, and yeah, what were your impressions of Dorival? Yeah, just a lot of what you said alongside of you know, being just a, a giant 
seemingly a, a Brazilian music, apparently uh, second only to uh, Jobim, where the songs have been covered by, I mean, several people, you know. I mean, just one of those things where he, he wrote so many, uh, and a lot of people's interpretations, perfect Brazilian influenced songs um, that have inspired, you know, you know, countless, you know, songbooks and, you know, other singers to go on and, and make music. Uh, and like you said, also too, just a, a great relationship with, uh, you know, within his music with like common people, you know, that were in that region. So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, definitely some, some really great music, such a great, rich, baritone style voice, you know, oh, yeah. I mean, just he really didn't need much, you know. Just his his voice and his guitar was it spoke volumes. So, yeah, definitely, I loved his voice too, man. Baritone, almost bordering on bass sometimes. I mean, he's yeah. got a really sort of warm, rich voice, and he plays that nylon string guitar, you know. And the nylon string guitar has a sort of warm, rich tone too, you know. Uh, I just really like the combination. Um, yeah, the first track we're going to listen to is Omar, which means the sea. Uh, so we're talking about the sea a bunch. And this, uh, you know, this piece is about the sea and the relationship of the sea. And, and uh, yeah, it kind of opens up with uh, um, these, I don't know, these kind of arpeggiated, what did I say? Arpeggiated, arpeggiated, God, I cannot, I cannot talk. Arpeggiated chords. Uh, you know, they sort of roll in and out kind of like, uh, I don't know, kind of like waves, you mm-hmm. know, like crashing against the beach. Um, we start singing about the sea and then halfway through it kind of breaks into this Brazilian dance rhythm. Um, but, you know, one thing that stood out to me is the harmony, like the accompanying harmony that he uses in guitar. It's really distinctly Brazilian. Uh, I don't think you would hear these harmonies from say like American crooners or folk singers of the, of the time, even now. I mean, yeah. I think you wouldn't hear these harmonies. They're really Brazilian. Um, yeah. what do you think of Omar? Well, I, I agree with you. There's something very distinctive about, about Brazilian uh, uh, melody and harmony that, that is definitely present here. And um, again, like I said, I think he went on to inspire so many artists of this nature to to go on and, and make such great great music and and one thing I love about uh, so many different styles of, of Brazilian music it especially when it's simple like this and there's there's not a lot of flash to it it's just someone you know with a you know a very passionate you know fire for what they're doing and um, the guy's voice I mean he's just so good so good and his and his playing style, you know, so so melodic and 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 harmonic. I mean, just it's so easy to appreciate and like. And um, you know, I I think that's like I said, one of the things about Brazilian music that I like so much is that you know it can just be so down to earth, but so you know, so good. It seems like so much is coming from you know almost nothing. Like I said, just a, a voice and a guitar. You know, where he doesn't need he doesn't need much at all, you know, except that. So, yeah, yeah, man. Absolutely. Uh, let's check out the first track. Cool. This is Omar from Dorval Kami. Mm-hmm. 
praia É bonito É bonito O mar Pescador quando sai Nunca sabe se volta Nem sabe se fica Quanta gente perdeu seus maridos, seus filhos nas ondas do mar. O mar, quando quebra na praia, é bonito, é bonito. Pedro vivia da pesca, saía no barco seis horas da tarde, só vinha na hora do sorraia. Todos gostavam de Pedro e mais de que todos, Rosinha de Chica, a mais bonitinha e mais bem feitinha de todas mocinhas lá do arraia. Pedro saiu no seu barco seis horas da tarde, passou toda a noite e não veio na hora do sorraia. Deram com o corpo de Pedro jogado na praia, ruído de peixe sem barco, sem nada, num canto bem longe lá do Arraia. And we just heard Omar, and we're going to move on to Ovento, which means the wind. Um, so, kind of keeping with the theme, the the sort of elements theme, I guess. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and again, here, I think we can hear in this song. Uh, really his voice come out that baritone bass voice is like like butter in this <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. um you know just just really smooth and um again you know really cool brazilian kind of harmony kind of he, again it starts off with these rolling arpeggiated chords up and down i, I think trying to uh evoke you know wind you know um, but, uh, you know, you're, you were talking about him starting these, uh, traditions in Brazilian music and Brazilian popular music. And, uh, if you listen to more Brazilian music and Brazilian music of today, you can really hear, uh, what he started continuing. Um, there's an artist that I really got into in the nineties or late nineties. Um, her name is Badi Assad. Uh, B-A-D-I and then A-S-S-A-D and she kind of does this the same thing that he does but but sort of taking it to like a whole new level um, but it's really the same thing like you can you can see the progressive lineage from from that to what she does um, if anybody wants to check her, her out I mean her first album I man the title of it escapes me now but um, I saw her live in like 98 or something and she oh, was wow. she was amazing man just amazing just up there with a guitar just her and a guitar and the things that she could do uh she sounded like a whole band like some of the pieces she would be playing the accompaniment on the guitar with just her left hand so just like you know oh, wow. really <laughs> uh yeah like like pressing down on the strings with for the accompaniment and then with her right hand she'd be playing a bunch of hand percussion and then singing Mm-hmm. all at the same time mm-hmm. and you know creating these That's really cool. complicated you know cross rhythms and all this stuff and <clears throat> man really really cool but 
um, <clears throat> in this same tradition. But uh, yeah, what did you think of Ovento? Yeah, I mean, just, you know, a really good, like I said, another good example of Hello. how, yeah, my phone's <laughs> ringing. Somebody else is going to have to get it's, it. It's probably going to happen. You know, it's probably going to happen to me too. <laughs> yeah, okay. The, the funny aside, my phone has been unplugged for about about two weeks <laughs> where I forgot to plug it back in and, and I plug it in today. And of course, here we go. So, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, just really, really beautiful melody. I mean, that that's the one thing that just sticks with me with him is just is how he can take the the simple harmonies and music and and use them, you know, to his advantage. Um, that's one thing that I really, really love about his music and, and trying to go through outside of this recording also and discover some of his other stuff and see, you know, where his influences, you know, inspired so many others. It's been fun. Um, you know, he, he's just a, a, a great, great guy as far as a singer, you know, and a guitar player, which, you know, to have both of those, it, it doesn't happen like this very often, seemingly. Um, you know, and I, I mean, it, it, nothing he's doing is, is real complicated. That's another thing, like I said, that I really love about it. You know, it's just real simple, but but really beautiful and, 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 and easy to appreciate, you know, for someone, even if you don't speak the language, which I, I don't, you know, it, it's just, it's so sweet and so nice. You yeah, know, to listen to. I don't speak the language either. I know the listener probably can't tell from my my beautiful re- rendering of the Portuguese <laughs> language when I when I try to say it. But yeah, right. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I agree with everything you said, man. The simplicity and yeah, man, it's just like butter. So yeah, it is. Yeah, let's listen to this last track, um, Ovento from Dorival Kami. <laughs> chamar o vento vamos chamar o vento vamos chamar o vento vamos chamar o vento Vento que dá na vela, vela que leva o barco, barco que leva a gente, gente que leva o peixe, peixe que dá dinheiro, curimã, curimã, e curimã, lambaio, curimã, e curimã, lambaio, curimã, curimã, e curimã, lambaio, curimã, e Vamos chamar o vento Vamos chamar o vento Vamos 
chamar o vento Vamos chamar o vento Vento que dá na vela Vento que vira o barco Barco que leva a gente Gente que leva o peixe Peixe que dá dinheiro, Curimã And that was Ovento from Dorval Kami, and we're going to move on to... Man, I love that. I love that whistle. That that whistle is just... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's he's a great whistler. <laughs> that whistle is it's so sweet. I mean, it's, it is. It's, it's like I said, it's one of those simple things that, you know, you don't think about who whistles in a song nowadays. I mean... <laughs> no, you know? Yeah, nobody. But And the thing I loved about the whistle, it was just such a sh- short profound statement you know he didn't like go off in like in a whistle solo you know mm-hmm. it's just a couple a couple notes but it's just like perfectly placed yeah so, yeah yeah um so yeah the next one let's get into this <laughs> so french composer emmanuel charbrier his opera Le Roy Malgré Lui, which means uh, the king in spite of himself. That's one translation that I read. Um, this particular recording was released in 1985 by the Chorus of Radio France, the new Philharmonic Orchestra of Radio France, conducted by Charles Dutrois. And uh, let me just say a little bit about Emmanuel. He was uh, lived from. Uh, 1841 to 1894. Um, you know, one of the most important French composers, I think, um, to start uh, the Impressionist mo- movement in music, uh, which was really, you know, the, the major composers of that movement were Claude Debussy and Maurice Ravel. Um, Charbrier predated those and uh, really kind of started that movement and influenced those composers to really uh, get that movement rolling. Um, yeah, you know, this this opera is, man, it's it's tough. It's it's tough to uh, to understand what's going on. <laughs> it really does not sound like any opera I've ever heard. Yeah, it's life. very I mean, French. I am um, not an opera connoisseur, you know, obviously, you know, if you know me, but... I mean, I, when I was listening to it, I was like, you know, there would be like almost breakdowns where I'm like, you know, what are they doing? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's interesting and, and and it seems somewhat, you know, humorous. I mean, obviously, it's supposed to be funny, um, but it's it's not like anything I've ever really listened to uh, on yeah. the opera yeah. side. So, well, I mean, one reason I think it's so hard for us to grasp is really it's a it's a it's a thing of lost in translation and not just in the language, but in the whole, uh, social world at that time, you know, yeah, we're talking about the era. Yeah. Dude, totally different area era. We're talking about the 1860s in Europe and, uh, issues that were gripping, not just France, but you know, Europe as a whole, but from a very French point of view, I have to say, um, the story itself is this sort of, it's a story of like political intrigue and also romantic intrigue. You know, we have jilted lovers that are rekindling their feelings and scheming behind their spouses and, and 
you know, political factions scheming behind each other's backs for power. Um, it's very, very complicated. And it's like this web of deceit and lies and diversions. And I think maybe just the complexity of it is maybe part of the comedy. I'm not sure. Hmm. Uh, maybe it's making a, you know, a statement of, of the absurdity of, you know, all of that. Um, again, I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. It definitely seems like a lot of drama. I mean, Oh yeah. You know, could be just, you know, you know, just what, what, what plays up, in, in soap operas nowadays where they, they can be so ridiculous the the plots that, that go on and the the twists and turns and the you know the conniving nature of how how soap operas are and how they keep you involved. And I mean right. you know maybe yeah. that's like you said what they what they're playing at is just is sort of like a, a, a parody of how that that all comes about, you know, where it's like this is really this is really crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's so much going on. Well, yeah, you know? that's a great analogy. I, the soap opera thing. Yeah. This is like a parody of the young and the restless or something. But, yeah, exactly. You know. a, a soap opera like that, where, I mean, I mean, for anybody who watched the young and the restless, you know, I mean, it was, it was nuts. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, it was like they, you know, who, who sat down and wrote, some of this stuff where you're like are you kidding me right you know? <laughs> right so i mean you know it, it's just that seems like what what they were trying to do I, i'm not totally sure but like you said it was it was it was a different a different time a different era where you know so many things were going on the way things are now i mean compared to to this i guess some of it still goes on but right but not right. quite like this you know right yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like the young and the aristocratic, but like mm -hmm. a parody. And, and uh, you know, what was going on in Europe at the time, what had been going on for a long, long time uh, was basically what happens is this, this French guy becomes uh, king of Poland. And this kind of thing happened all the time in Europe because all the royalty in Europe were all related, <clears throat> interrelated. And yeah. they were constantly being married off to each other. And so, like, you know, a princess from France would be married to, you know, a prince of Poland. And then she would become, you know, the queen of Poland. And this, you know, this and that. And, I mean, people, these families were all interconnected. And that's yeah. how, you know, something like this is would be, have been plausible back then. You know, this French guy becoming king of Poland. Um and, uh, you know, we're going to start with the prelude of the piece. And I'm starting with this because, uh, you know, story aside, opera story aside, um, one of the reasons this work is important, especially to French music and, and to Impressionism in music, was uh, the influence that the music itself had on composers like Debussy and Ravel. Uh, and, you know, Ravel said that, you know, this prelude alone started impressionism in music and changed French music forever. Uh, and you know, this prelude, there's just some very subtle things. These, these harmonies, these chords, these extended chords, you know, that became so French later. Um, Charbrier was really one of the earliest people to introduce this kind of harmony, you know, in his music. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, very different from the German, style that was really dominating music at the time. You know, Richard Wagner was just 
dominating everything at the time in Europe. Um, mm. And he had a very particular German style. And the French, even though Charbonnier was a great admirer of Wagner, he wanted to move away and create a French style. And this is when this whole nationalism thing started in music and in art, you know, and people trying to find their own national identity rather than just trying to sound like, uh, the next guy that's really popular and on top. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, um, you know, Charbonnier was friends, personal friends with a bunch of impressionist painters, uh, like Renoir and, uh, Monet and Manet and all these people. It's amazing. You know, uh, when I was reading about him, when he died, they sold off his uh, art collection and uh, his art collection was just basically all these paintings that he got from his friends, you know. Hmm. But hmm. but they were all these paintings by Monet and Manet and and uh, Renoir and Degas and all these people, and which would I mean I was looking at the list, which I mean if this collection would have sold today, it would have sold at auction for you know millions on millions on millions, you know. Yeah. Um, but at the time they were just his peers, so it was that's no right. Big deal, they were just you know? these dudes that he hung out with. And they all shared, you know, common artistic views. And uh, I just thought that was, you know, thought that was interesting. But uh, what did you think of this prelude? Um, Like you said, not much like the, you know, what what you would say the the German style of composing was like, uh, you know, it it seems to have a different sound or a different identity uh, in that sense. And... um, you know, I guess as far as I, I can tell, you know, just the really rich tone of, of how it comes about and, and, and how it starts. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just not a really big opera fan, you know, <laughs> right. but, but for what I, I take from it, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, it sounds great. I mean, you know, for, for music in, in general, you know, right. and I mean, it's right. I don't want to try to say anything and, and, you know, I guess not sound sound like I know what I'm talking about. But I mean, for what I took from it, I mean, it, it was really nice, you know, just like the way the horns and, and, and everything comes together and, you know, yeah. just a, 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 a nice sound. I think the thing that really strikes me about a lot of this is, is the actual, you know, vocal parts of, of the opera where. You know, at times it's almost like they're singing, but sometimes it's almost as if they're talking, right, you know, and right. not singing, right. you know, and, and that's that's kind of a break from what I normally am used to in opera. Right. Um, well, so that, go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm just saying, um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get into that in the next track because, yeah, yeah. it has all <laughs> that stuff. I mean, God, there's so much going on. But, um, yeah, the, the harmony of this prelude, I just see it as the chords are just sort of softer in some mm-hmm. way, you know, Definitely. the German, I mean, almost like the, the kind of pastel sort of washed out colors of the, of the paintings, you know, the impressionist yeah. paintings. Um, so yeah, let's check this out. This prelude from, uh, Le Roy Malgré Louis of Emmanuel Charbrier.
And we just heard the prelude, and that's the piece that opens, you know, the whole opera. Um, and sort of sets the tone. Uh, the next track we're going to listen to is a scene from Act 2. It's towards the end of Act 2. Uh, the scene is they're in a big ballroom of, of this count, this Polish count that's uh, like a uh, rival for the throne, right? Um, and uh, so it's this big ball party. And uh, not to go into like too much detail, but there's a ton of of stuff going on here. It's like an episode of three's company on the, the, the biggest piece of crack like you've ever seen. (laughs) 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 Um, and, uh, you know, so there's just a ton of stuff going on here. You know, it start, like you said, it starts with just talking and that was a, a feature of French opera that differed from like say Italian opera and German opera where there was nothing but singing in French mm-hmm. opera, there's talking too. So there's talking and singing. And, uh, you know, more like a, like a musical. It would be like an American musical. You know, they had a bunch of people talking and then somebody breaks down into song, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, I don't know. What did you think of this? Well, again, like I said, it, that was the one thing that, that stuck out to me more. Because, I mean, like you said, the initial... Um, opening like the prelude it's 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 a lot more soft you know compared to or, or softer in tone compared to what you would normally hear um I, I suppose in opera but this was really unusual where i was like well they're they're not singing at all they're they're, they're just kind of talking back and forth but it it still has like a, a tone or or even a a feel about it you know where it's i don't want to say it's 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 not your normal conversation it really doesn't sound like it right off you know and then they go kind of go back to singing and i was like well um that's definitely different um but you know i I guess the the comedy aspect of it you know is it comes over better you know when they can they can talk and and kind of break from you know the traditional sense of, of what opera normally is you know, maybe I'm assuming that's what they were doing. Um, but, um, you know, it, it definitely was, was different. That, that was something that I was not, not really expecting right away when I, when I first started listening to this. Yeah. 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 One, one thing that I'm, I don't know, I guess impressed by is, uh, how Charbier can negotiate all the stuff that's going on like towards the end of the, the track's pretty long. It's like uh, this certain track that we're pulling this excerpt from is about nine minutes, a little over nine minutes. And it starts with talking and then it starts, you know, the singing comes in. It sort of gets more uh, complicated as the track goes on to where towards the end of the track, I mean, you have the solo singers on stage singing, singing all at once. You have the choir singing at the same time and the orchestra going on. I mean, that's a lot of people making a lot of sound, yeah, you know, for yeah. one space. And yet you can clearly hear everything and you can clearly mm. hear what's supposed to be in the foreground, what's supposed to be in the middle ground, what's supposed to be in the background. I mean, in the hands of someone less skilled, this could turn into a giant ball Train of wreck. sound mud, yeah. you know? Um, but here, man, I, I'm just, that was one thing that impressed me musically and orchestrationally, you know, how Charbier can negotiate 
just this huge web and huge forces of sound and into something really clear. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely not not traditional arrangement in any sense. Um, just uh, like you said, all kinds of stuff going on, um, kind of like a musical, but kind of like an opera, um, with a, a variety of big parts and small parts. So, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, like yeah. I said, just <laughs> nothing like I'd really ever heard before. Yeah, yeah Young uh, and the Restless, man. Young yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so let's check this out. This last track from uh, Charbrier's Leroy Malgré Louis. This is a scene from the end of Act Two. <laughs> was uh, Leroy Malgré Louis and we're going to move on to our second Frenchman of the show Manu Chao his album Clandestino released in 1998 uh, Manu was born in 1961 in France he's of Spanish descent and I guess his parents uh, fled Spain to escape uh, Francisco Franco and his his regime um, that, and, and so he was born in France uh, but this guy is really multinational. Um, mm. You know, he, he sort of likes to travel all over the place and um, take in the culture from wherever he is and incorporate it into his music. Um, 
you know, his he started off early in France, you know, in groups, I don't know, different groups that, you know, incorporated like rockabilly and punk and all this different stuff. Um, groups like Hot Pants, uh, Los Carayos and uh, Mano Negra. And then after those groups, uh, which was, he had some some success with those groups, he moved to Madrid and formed uh, Radio Bemba so, uh, Sound System, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which I guess was the, the name of the communication system used by Castro and Guevara uh, and the rebels in the Cuban Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically what he wanted to do with this group was replicate the sound of street music and bar scenes from a variety of cultures and then sort of, uh, you know, put that all together into a distinctive music. Um, so how they did this was they traveled through Central and South America um, all over the place and just took in all the music and all the culture they could and just recorded all along the way, um, which is, I don't know, it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, definitely. Pretty, yeah, pretty cool way of, you know, really cre- uh, creating a new sound and and getting into cultures. I mean, just to, to go directly there. Um, what did you think of Manu? Um, when I when I first started listening to his music, even before I read anything about him, he just came off as what I like to think of as a street poet, somebody who they 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 love. They love the streets, so to speak, um, you know, and, and maybe not in a, in a hip hop sense, like where people talk about, oh, man, I'm from the street, you know, here in America. But he he's just in endeared to things that are going on in street culture. I mean, obviously, they did a lot of performances and, you know, different ways and different, you know, I guess, you know, street corners and, and maybe subways or whatever. Um, but he just seems like one of those guys that's just in tune with what's going on with the streets and maybe even underground, so to speak, you know, as far as revolutionary causes and, and, you know, things of that culture. I mean, that, that's the vibe that I get from him throughout his career and, and looking at what he's done, which is, you know, you know, spanned a, quite a few styles and, and, and genres and, and, and different methods of how he applies his his uh, I guess his influence or aesthetic, however you want to look at it. But I mean, when it, it comes down to it, that's one thing I see when I when I'm listening or what one thing I hear when I listen to his music is just street poetry. You know, yeah, yeah. That's the big resounding thing. You know, just the 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 people that that are you know kind of you know maybe disenfranchised or are kind of, you know, you know, up against, you know, different, you know, regimes as far as, you know, military or corporate or, or whatever that's oppressive, you know, his, his, his voice comes up against those so, so-called forces, if you will, you know, as a, as a street poet. Right. You know, and, and that's what I'm feeling from him, you know, big time. Yeah. Yeah, dude, absolutely. The street poet thing. Um, one thing I think is interesting about his music is, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's a street poet. There's so many um, socio and political sort of messages in his music. But at the same time, I think the dude likes to party, too. Oh, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That I, I hear that, too. I, yeah. I, I think that and that's that's part of that, too, where, you know, the stuff that goes on in the street, he knows about it and he, he revels in it, you know, so to speak. 
Um, and and I think that's that's one of those things. He's he's proud of that. He's he's proud of yeah. you know his relation to so called you know street culture, if you will. Um, and I mean he 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 seems. I mean uh, listening to some of his stuff this morning, I, I was listening to some of uh, uh, his live performances. They they seem to really come alive when it's it's straight up live. You know, it's, it's in front of an audience that type of thing that type of performance that's where he's he's really at his peak it seems i yeah, mean I, yeah. I i listened to some really good live stuff of his um earlier before we started and i mean it was it was great great stuff yeah know? yeah you know one of the really interesting cool things that his group has done is uh they've done tours of uh south america where they actually had a ship a tour ship Wow. And they would pull into these port towns and then they would play on a stage that they constructed in their ship's hold and people would just come on the ship. That is cool. Yeah, and then <laughs> and then they did the same thing with a tr- on a train. So they went wow. around like Columbia and stuff on this uh, decommissioned train where they basically did the same thing. Like they they created this uh stage and stuff on the train. They would just go to these towns and uh play these concerts on the train the guy's like a gypsy I mean, I know, he's yeah just, <laughs> yeah that's pretty that's i mean pretty who cool. who does that who has a tour ship i've never heard yeah. of anybody doing that that's that's really cool but anyway yeah. um let's uh let's listen to the first track a uh, dia luna sorry dia luna dia pena um or da pena i guess uh i guess the there's a literal translation of Moon Day of Shame. I, I think that's a pretty literal translation. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, right off, it kind of reminded me a little of, of Kami. You know, mm-hmm. it, it's just, it's, it starts off as just him and a guitar. Mm-hmm. Sounds sort of vaguely Brazilian um, in that tradition. Not not solely in that tradition because, you know, again, he's, he's French and he's drawing on all kinds of traditions. But... Um, it kind of reminded me of that a little bit. Uh, I think it's amazing. The entire song is just two chords. Yeah, That's I, it. <laughs> I to- totally agree with you with the comparison uh, uh, to to Kanye. It's real simple, um, you know, kind of melancholy, even uh, nice, nice melody. You know, nothing, nothing real flashy, but but really, really good sound. Um, and uh, I, I agree with you on that comparison. I mean, I, I think, uh, and, it, and it's really quick too. I mean, you know, kind of short and, and, and to the point. And, um, you know, I, I, I need to find a translation of what he's saying in the song. Yeah. Um, you said it was moon, the, the title's like, uh, you said Moonlight of Shame or? Moon Day. So, um, Dia Luna is Luna is moon, so mm-hmm. moon day or mon- Monday, I don't know of shame. Um, well, I mean Monday in Spanish is lunas, um, so yeah, I don't know. It's like yeah, moon well, day of shame. I, I'm not really sure what you know. Again, I think I'm missing something in translation, but yeah, yeah. That's why I say I'm I'm gonna look again and, and look look at. Because I, I kind of looked, you know, briefly for a translation. I didn't see anything, but you know, even 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 with that said, I mean, you know, like I said, just really really simple, but but melodic harmony. 
you know, great song, pretty song. And, um, you know, just the, the, the guy seems to have, uh, he seems to have a knack for, you know, taking a, a variety of, of styles in, in music and, and kind of adapting and, and just playing whatever he wants. You know, I mean, some of his stuff, it, it's kind of reggae feel. Some of it's definitely kind of rock. Uh, some Brazilian sounds, you know, some some Spanish stuff. I mean, you know, like I said, he's, he's just like this gypsy, man, where you be like, you know, well, what is he, you know? And I guess that could be, at, at any given moment, any any number of things, you know? Right. Um, which which can be really fun, you know, especially if if you like a variety of musics where you you're not really stuck on one thing, you know, um, that can be a lot of fun. So oh yeah, yeah man, let's check out this first track. Um, this is Manu Chao with Dia Luna de Pena. Hoy dia luna dia pena. Hoy me levanto sin razón. Hoy me levanto y no quiero. Hoy día luna, día pena Hoy día luna, día pena Hoy me levanto sin razón Hoy me levanto y no llego A ninguna destinación Arriba la luna, oea Arriba la luna, oea Hoy día luna, día pena Hoy me levanto sin razón Hoy me levanto y no quiero Hoy día luna, día muero Arriba la luna, oea Arriba la luna, oea Arriba la luna, oea And that was the first track from Manu Chao. We're going to move on to the second track, Lagrimas de Oro, which means Tears of Gold. Um, this one starts out with kind of a like a recorded, pre-recorded um, rant. And I read that it was uh, some political rant from some like uh, sort of left-leaning political group that he identifies himself with. So again, you know, unfortunately, I have no idea what it's saying, um, but uh, you know, I think that's what it is. You know, the this song is definitely more up tempo than the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, the bass has an almost tango-like rhythm, you know. So there's some Argentinian in here, uh, but it kind of sounds like a mishmash of South American music of different countries. You know, I, I even hear some Afro-Cuban in this. Um, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, the, 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 the Spanish side comes out a lot more in, in this track. Um, and it, 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 I guess you, like you're saying that with the, with the, the little sample at the beginning, it kind of, you know, sparks it off with this kind of revolutionary type feel, you know, like I, I'm not exactly sure what he's protesting, but it sounds like he's protesting something. Yeah. You know? yeah. And and that's what I get from from the way that song starts, you know, and even his the cadence in his voice when he's singing, you know. And um 
you know, like I said, the the, the guy just this come he totally comes off sort of like this this guy who's who's part political, part street, you know, part you know, man, we're gonna have a good time, you know. Even if we go to jail, we're having a good time. You know, we're we're gonna do this, you know, no matter what. And um, you know, it it would it would be something I think really fun to see him live. You know, I mean, because I really didn't know much about him, you know, before the book. Uh, I mean, I think I'd seen his name here and there, um, and the some of the previous groups maybe that he was tied with. But uh, you know, reading more about him here is is kind of you know, pique my interest a bit where, you know, I, I'm sure that, that a live set from him would be an experience. And, you know, just the, the variety of influences that, that drive him on and then come out in this sound, you know. And with this song, like you said, with the, the, the sort of, you know, almost tango-like feel and the rhythm, you know, he, he's, he's got a lot of stuff going on and it all seems like, you know, stuff that he he's picked up, you know, from his travels and where he came from and, and, yep. and shoot where he's going, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. One note I, ha- I have to make about um, the audio tracks is this is another one of those albums where uh, it's not available, at least here in the U.S. Uh, for like in like MP3 format and um, to order it. You know, it's like one of those albums that you can only get on import, and it's like really prohibitively expensive. <clears throat> so I have to take these tracks straight off of YouTube, which means that the <clears throat> the um, audio quality, unfortunately, is not going to be great. But we just have to do this sometimes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a little disclaimer there. But let's uh, let's check out this <clears throat> last track from Manu Chao. This is Lagrimas de Oro. We just heard Lagrimas de Oro, and we're going to move on to Tracy Chapman, her debut album, uh, self-titled album from 1990, uh, sorry, 1988. And, 
you know, this was this album was big when it came out. I mean, I clearly remember it in 1988 um, when it came out. Uh, little background. I mean, she started playing really early age at like three. Uh, I think it said her mom bought her a ukulele. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then at eight, she picked up the guitar, and I thought this was funny. She was inspired to do so by watching Hee Haw. Yeah, that's something. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, look, you know what? Uh, uh, aside, I, I will admit, Hee Haw was one of my favorite shows as a kid growing yeah, up. Yeah, I remember watching Hee Haw. Yeah, I would on Saturday evenings. I would watch Hee Haw every saturday evening because it was just it was so much fun first of all you you had you had roy clark and and buck owens who are really i mean really underestimated talents i mean well i shouldn't say underestimated i mean they yeah in a way they are i mean a, a lot of people know who who they are and how big they are but i think they they don't get a lot of credit for right because of stuff like hee-haw for how good they both were. They were both very yeah. talented. Yeah, yeah. Buck you know? Owens is in this book. I mean, we're going to talk about Buck Owens later, but yeah. Exactly. I mean, yeah. those, those jokes, both of them were, were were amazing. I mean, anyway, I mean, Hee Haw was just one of those variety shows that just had, you know, a distinct nature about it, really funny. And I, I loved Hee Haw. I mean, I, I can I can see where Tracy Chapman would have would have appreciated such a show. Right. So anyway. Yeah, if anybody <laughs> remembers Hee Haw, Buck Owens was the one that had the red, white, and blue guitar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she went on to, uh, I thought this was cool, she has a BA in Anthropology and African Studies from Tufts mm-hmm. University. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I have to say, my sort of uh, going back and listening to this album, you know, now, and looking back at when it came out in 1988, it was such a unique album for the time, and especially such a unique album to reach the popularity it did during the time that it came oh, out, because said, it was oh. nothing like anything else at the time. Yeah, you said a lot right there. I yeah. mean, Tracy Chapman was okay. Here is a here is a black woman, a dark skinned black woman, who has has really short, at the time, kind of knotted dreadlocks in her hair. She looked nothing like, right. you know, your, I guess what you would call your contemporary female singers, vocalists, performers. I mean, you, you know, Janet Jacksons and Madonnas and, and people like that. She looked nothing like them. So first off, before she even opens her mouth, she kind of has that strike against her, so to speak. Right. And, and, and then and when she sings, I mean, it's like, you know, you know, Joan Baez or something where it's, right. it's nothing flashy. All the, you know, I mean, groups like that, like Depeche Mode and, and, and the, the U2s and, and bands that were real big right then. There was none of that. So, you know, it was one of those things where like the planets lined up for Tracy Chapman. Yeah. Well, and, to put it into like a little more context, I looked up, um, in 1989, she won uh, some Grammys for this album. Oh, yes. And she one of the Grammys she won was Best New Artist. And to put mm-hmm. it into perspective about what was going on at the time, the winner of that award the previous year was Jody Watley. Mm-hmm. And then the winner of that award the next year was Millie Vanilli. Exactly. See, isn't that, isn't that <laughs> weird? Like I said, it's like the planets lined up for her. And, and I mean, she she really in a way for that period 
had a voice that came out, especially for people that were living in, in what you would call, I guess, generational poverty. People who had been poor and their parents had been poor and their grandparents and as far back as they could look, people who just had struggled to to live and survive, especially Fast Car. It was just one of those songs. I remember the first time I heard it, I was I was watching MTV in the middle of the day one day and this video comes on and I was just like, you know, man, this lady looks nothing like anybody on on TV right now and sounds nothing like anybody. And that and that resonance in her voice, first of all, the way her voice kind of vibrates when she sings, you know, almost like a tremble and, and what she was talking about. It was just so profound for like what was going on in the country. It was kind of like the Reagan years and, you know, people were just dealing with, you know, what are we going to do? You know, we're yeah. broke as a joke. There's no future in what we're doing. We have to do something other than what we're doing. But also in the middle of all that strife and struggle and, you know, my family has problems here. I got problems here at work. We have this car <laughs> and it's a fast car. And occasionally we get out and about and, and feel good and forget about whatever it is that's making us feel bad. And I mean, it was just such a beautiful portrait of, of, of that American struggle. And I, I really think that 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 song is like one of the one of the greatest songs ever written, to be honest. I mean, that that year where she she won, like, I think, like you said, best best new artist. She probably could have won, you know, quite a few more. I mean, especially for that one song, you know, and I mean, I think Tracy Chapman still gets she still gets a lot of, you know, credit and still has a decent following. But I mean, that was a huge song. That was a a big, big right. influence right. on so many people, you know. Yeah, that year she won the Grammy for Best New Artist, also Best Female Pop Vocal Performance, and Best Contemporary Folk Recording. Yeah, she um, she was. I think she was yeah. up for Song of the Year. That's the one that bothered me. There was not another song to me that came out that year. I mean, I was I was what eighteen, nineteen years old when that happened. She really. I mean, she probably could have won that one, too. And I, I bet she doesn't really look back and wonder about that. But I think that year, she probably, that was like the, the greatest song that came out that year to me. You know, I mean, anyway, um, just. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm curious what song won yeah. Song of the Year in 1989. I, lo I looked at that um, about a month ago. Oh, I, dude, I, 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 I just found it. <laughs> It was Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Isn't that funny? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a, that's that's like I okay, there we go. I, and I, I was trying to remember. Um It's almost it's funny because it's almost like uh like a response to Fast Car. It's like Fast Car, then Bobby McFerrin goes, just don't worry, be happy. <laughs> yeah, and that's that, really cool. Uh, I told you. <laughs> I told you. Yeah, we could we could really go off on that song too. This oh man, uh, so many people that that love and and then don't love that song. Uh, and Bobby McFerrin, oh that guy, I love that guy. Um, that was like one of those songs. I'm pretty sure that he he probably did not expect that song to be as popular and as game changing as it as it was. I mean, you, you hear a mattress commercial on the radio nowadays. 
they're using that song in a mattress commercial. You know, <laughs> that's that's how much that song has permeated yeah. this society. You know, but anyway, you dude, know. Bobby McFerrin is a whole other conversation. The super talented dude. There's he a um, there's a documentary on music and on on uh, Netflix. Man, I cannot remember the title. It's hosted by Bobby McFerrin. It's an awesome documentary. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh yeah, fast car. Let's just let's check it out. Cool. All right, man. This is uh, Tracy Chapman with Fast Car. You get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere Maybe we make a deal Maybe together we can get somewhere Any place is better Starting from zero, got nothing to lose Maybe we'll make something Me, myself, I got nothing to prove You got a fast car I got a plan to get us out of here Been working at the convenience store Managed to save just a little bit of money Won't have to drive too far Just across the border and into the city You and I can both get jobs And finally see what it means to be living See, my old man's got a problem yeah, but the bottle, that's the way it is He says his body's too old for working His body's too young to look like his My mama went off and left him She wanted more from life than he could give I said, somebody's got to take care of him So I quit school, and that's what I did You got a fast car Is it fast enough so we can fly away? You gotta make a decision Leave tonight or live and die this way So I remember when we were driving Driving in your car Speed so fast it felt like I was drunk City lights day out before us And your arm felt nice wrapped around my shoulder And I, I had a feeling that I belonged And we just heard Fast Car, and we're going to move on to our second track from Tracy Chapman, Mountains O Things. And to me, when I listen to this, this is kind of like a If I Were a Rich Man for 1988. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> That's a great comparison. <laughs> uh, but, the, you know, there's If I Were a Rich Man, you know, from uh, Fiddler on the Roof, it's such a. I don't know. Such so a just a jolly sort of um, uh, fanciful song, I guess. And mm-hmm. this still has that deep meaning to it. You know, the deep message in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I agree. I agree. <clears throat> uh, one of my favorite lines from it was uh, something like, "It's like uh, my grave is deep and wide enough to hold my mountains of things." It's almost like, you know, the, about the absurdity of extreme wealth and materialism that really was gripping 
everybody in the Reagan era, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, still kind of is now. Um, oh, yeah. th- that's the oh, thing, yeah. you know, about these songs, Fast Car and this one. I think they resonate just as much now. I mean, th- these songs could have been written this year, you mm-hmm. know? Um, yeah, what did you think of this? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, just it, it's a it's it's a great way of, of kind of, you know, looking at the, the materialism of, of life and, and how, you know, people get to a point where how much do I have to have before I'm happy? You know, how many cars, how big a house, how many pairs of shoes, you know, I mean, am I going to need like, you know, all this and, and still, you know, need more before I'm, I'm satisfied? I mean, you know, and, and, and it's kind of almost in a, in a comical sense, you know, like seemingly from a, you know, a, a, a little girl, I maybe a little girl perspective, but a, but a younger perspective, you know, where it's like, you know, I, I, I can't wait until I get, you know, you know, the jewelry and, and the. And the, and the nice big TV and, and, and this, that, and the other. And I mean, it, it's one of those songs where it's like, you know, you, you're you never going to have enough. I mean, if, if you can't get satisfied with what you have, you know, up in your head and inside and your spirit, none of it will matter, you know. And, and like you said, during that period, you know, it was all me, me, me. You know, it, it was get as much as you can, work as hard as you can, make make as much money, you know, the big bank account and I mean still, you know, it's it's never enough, you know. And and this is just a really cool way of kind of, you know, portraying that in, in a song. You know, she she really is is um especially this record. It, it, she was really really so like prime for this this period and like i said it, it just seems like it was it was a perfect storm for her and uh and since then i mean she's kind of had some success i mean her um give me one reason was like i guess really her one of her biggest hits i mean where that song played on on kind of pop and rock radio and then crossed over to like you know i guess what you would call urban or, or black radio where they were playing Tracy Chapman, which that to me, because I was still working music retail at the time, that was very a very pleasant surprise because I felt like Tracy Chapman kind of had, you know, maybe had her best years with this album, but then suddenly had her biggest hit maybe another, you know, 10 years later and an unexpected hit and another Grammy, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. you know... Just going back and, and looking at at this and and where she was when she did this album and this song, you know, I mean, I wonder if, if she has you know, you know, mountains of things to be happy about at this point, you know. Um, <laughs> I'm sure she does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, man. Well, let, let's check this out. This last track from Ch- uh, Tracy Chapman. This is Mountains of Things. Have it all prearranged Grave that's deep and wide enough For me and all my mountains Oh thanks Oh they tell me Still the time to save my soul They tell me 
Mountains of Things uh, from Tracy Chapman. And we're going to move on to our last album for this week, Ray Charles, The Best of Ray Charles, The Atlantic Years, released in 1994, a collection of his music, uh, mostly from the 50s. And uh, man, what do we say about Ray Charles? I mean, this giant, giant of music. You know, this is one of the few dudes that you can point to and you can say, you know, this guy is responsible for rock and roll. And this guy is is responsible for R&B and this guy is responsible for soul and you know I mean it's just his impact on American music uh, is is just huge it's profound this yeah. is a hard album to pick from too I mean when when I first looked at the two tracks we were going to talk about I was like well uh we could play these songs, but also we we could look at this other. I mean, yeah. he has just and th- just this one collection is hard to pick from. I mean, let alone looking at the variety of records and styles that he he kind of you know worked with, you know, in, in the time that he was here. Yeah, Ray is Ray is an icon. I I mean, I can really say that with you know all honesty. I mean, he's one of those guys in music. They're there really wasn't many like him. I mean, that that was just gut bucket soul and blues, you know, sometimes gospel. You know, next week we're going to see sometimes country and Western. I yeah. mean, <laughs> in, in a period where some people thought, you know, okay, Ray, what kind of drugs are you on that makes you want to <laughs> do a country and Western album? Which, you know, obviously we'll, we'll get into that more next week. But, I mean, he, he had so much talent i mean an amazing an amazing amount of 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 rhythm and soul and 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 a mindset 
to just, you know, blow the roof off of whatever he played, you know. And um, yeah, this Ray Charles is, is amazing. It was amazing, you know. And and like I said, it it's it was really hard for me to sit and just look at two songs from from just this one collection. Uh, you know, the guy had had amazing amazing hits, a lot of them, you know, big ones. So, oh yeah. Um, let's just get to the music. Maybe maybe we can like save his uh, biography stuff for next time. <laughs> maybe is so. that too it's weird? Like, <laughs> no, because I mean he's. He's one of those people. Okay, when, when we went through the Beatles, you know, and how much of a challenge that was. I mean, there's not as much material in this book from him, but I put him up there with them on that yeah, level yeah, of, of influence. I mean, some yeah. people may not look at that way with that way with Ray Charles, but I do. I think. Okay, uh, one aside, the the USA for Africa song, the We Are the World song. You remember that, obviously. Oh yeah. He he gives a lot of credibility to me to that song obviously it was it was a Quincy Jones you know arrangement and all and I love Quincy Jones but the the tail end of that song where Ray is singing I mean he he brings that song home not like anybody else could and I mean there were some really talented people obviously on that song yeah but the way he sings that song at the end I mean he he Ray had this grit and this style about him that was that was so unique and so uncanny that no one no really nobody else could have done that like him and i mean if you anybody i dare anybody to go back and listen to that the last i guess two minutes of that song where he's singing i mean it, it he really brings that song home and makes it you know more legitimate to me than what it was because i mean it on the surface that song is really kind of corny in a lot of ways but but him being at the end of it makes it makes it brilliant to right, me. I mean, right, you know, and right. just just his style and his makeup. Anyway, you know, just just one thing about Ray Charles, like I said, there's just I always am amazed about how how awesome he was and how awesome a talent he was. Oh know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're gonna start with this. Uh, b- basically, his the song that was like kind of his breakthrough song as a solo mm-hmm. artist uh, from 1955, I Got a Woman. And uh, before this, he had recorded a lot of songs, uh, you know, written by other people. And uh, this is a song that was written by him, performed by him as a solo artist. Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, takes elements of gospel and jazz and blues and, really created a template, you know, for what was to become rock and roll in a, in a lot of, you know, in a big sense. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just hugely influential song and, a great, and just a great song. Yeah. Um, and and the, to go back to what you said about the, the gospel influence, I mean, if, if anybody's watched the movie Ray with, with Jane Fox in it and, and they, they focus on that point, that was a no, no in those days where, you you would take what you would call, I guess, secular music and, and gospel music, and and lay them together in a song. I'm like I said, that it was like the kiss of death for some people, where some artists did that, and and they were ostracized. They were like, you know, you don't do that. That's that's God's music. You don't you don't ever you know play, you know, 
a, a gospel song and 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 layer like you know secular you know or i guess sinful themes upon it that, that was <laughs> right. like you know you didn't do that and ray was like you know what uh, like he says in the movie i'm gonna make it do what it do and he did i mean and people people obviously you know had been waiting for that you know because they they took what he did and 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 ate it up i mean people started copying ray charles you know white and black you know mm-hmm. and oh, um yeah. you know that was just one of those things that i i remember about this song and, and and about his career where he he was constantly you know being told ray you can't do that you know and he's like nope i i, I can do whatever i want to do you know and i'm going to show you so yeah. again just just an icon to me where he yeah. he kind of would just take on whatever he liked and then make it work musically yeah 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 and he did it and he showed us for sure um let's check out this first track uh, this is uh i got a woman from ray charles i got a woman way over town that's good to me oh yeah I got a woman way over town Good to me, oh yeah She give me money when I'm in need Yeah, she's a kind of friend indeed I got a woman way over town Just for me, oh yeah. She says loving early in the morning. Just for me, oh yeah. She says loving just for me. Yeah, she loves me so tenderly. I got a woman way over town that's good to me. Never grumbles or fusses, always treats me right. Never running in the streets and leaving me alone. She knows a woman's place is right there now in her home. I got a woman way over town that's good to me. Oh, yeah. And that was I Got a Woman. And we're going to move on to Hallelujah, I Love Her So. Uh, you could definitely hear the gospel in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, the R and B, maybe even some big band, um, in there. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's what I liked about this one. Um, you can <laughs> you can really really hear these elements all coming together. I mean that's that's really what he did great, especially in these early years is, you know, take all these influences that people were doing separately, you know, and Mm -hmm. just 
bringing them all together and making them making them his own and uh really just opening up you know a whole new world that like you said uh just had so many people copying and following after this yeah the the intros of this song with that that organ that's definitely i mean that just sounds like the church i mean you know whenever i hear that that's that's where I figure, you know, Ray, you know where he went to church. Ray probably played organ in church and 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 that's where he started. And I mean that that's what I first that's my first impression whenever I hear this song. And I another funny kind of aside, I the very first time I heard this song, it, it was not a version, it was not the Ray Charles version. It was a, a version that uh, uh Maceo Parker did, Maceo from from James Brown's band. And um and his version is really cool, but I, I didn't realize when I first heard it that it was a song that Ray Charles had done. And um, I had to kind of educate myself when I, I looked and saw in the liner notes. It's like, it's like, oh, this is a Ray Charles song, <laughs> you know. And and like I said, the guy has influenced like tons of people, tons of people to do, you know, all sorts of you know covers of his stuff and. And, and different styles of music and you know like I said this is this is a really cool collection I mean I mean what I say that that's another one of Ray's songs that's on this that I mean it's just a staple of, of Ray Charles's you know huge repertoire I mean whenever I hear that that song in particular I, I think about there was an old Saturday Night Live skit when John Belushi was on Saturday Night Live back Dude, in the day. I remember that totally. Where he was and Beethoven. And he, yeah, and they keep <laughs> they keep coming in the room hollering at him and he can't hear, obviously. And they hit him upside the head and you know, he'll he'll, you know, go off of what you know Beethoven would have been noodling on. And then the one scene where he puts the sunglasses on and starts playing what I say. That is an awesome <laughs> yeah. an awesome skit. And then and and Gilda and, and Lorraine Newman come in and start doing the the hey, uh-huh. hey, ho. <laughs> I mean, like I said, Ray Charles was, he was such a such a big, big influence on a variety of people. And and that was just one little example that, that always comes to mind, you know, whenever I think of, of that song in particular and him. You know, it was that was a funny, funny skit, but still it was cool because it was it was Ray and in the way Ray would have done that song, you know? So, um, but, uh, you know, this song, like I said, the, that, that organ in the beginning is, it's so typical of what you would hear in, especially in a, in a black church or, or, or a Baptist church, you know, it, it, it has a Southern feel about it. And like you said, the, the big band, the horn sound to it, um, you know, it's, it's jazzy, you know, and, and, and and Ray was just he was great at at just taking music of, of a variety of types that he obviously listened to when he was growing up and incorporating it to to whatever he wanted to do. I mean, yeah. there are a lot of, not a lot of people who who can venture out like that and I mean and be distinct about it. Like like I said, next week we're going to talk about his his country record. I mean, it's not a, a country slash what you would call soul record it's a straight up country western record you know and i mean do it and make it work and make people like it where some people were like you know are you crazy and then ray's like no i'm not crazy i'm just <laughs> doing what i want to do i yeah. mean another another person that comes to mind a little like that uh bobby womack who he also did the same thing he he had you know 
a huge following as far as R&B and soul and blues. And then in the middle of it decided, hey, I'm going to do a country or Western record. And then people again looked at him like he was nuts, you know. But I, I think maybe he also had been influenced by Ray too in, in doing that where it was just like, you know, good music to us is just good music. And I, this is what I grew up listening to. I like gospel. I like soul. I like country. I like jazz. I like a lot of stuff. And if I feel like I can do it as a musician, you know, respect me. Just let me do what I'm going to do. Right. You know? so, and, and the amazing thing is he recorded in all of those genres. And, mm-hmm. he, you know, he recorded stuff like this that mixed those genres. And then he also recorded the pure music in those genres as well and did it and succeeded at doing it all. I mean, there's just not many people that can say no. uh, they can say that. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, yeah, let's check out this last track of Ray Charles. And we're going to talk about Ray more next on uh, the next episode, too. Um, this is Hallelujah, I Love Her So. Coffee in my favorite cup That's why I know Yes, I know Hallelujah, I just love her so When I'm in trouble And I have no friend I know she'll go with me Until the end Everybody asks me how I know I smile at them And say she told me so That's why I know Oh, I know Hallelujah, I just love her so now if I call her on the telephone And tell her that I'm all alone By the time I come from one to four I hear her on my door In the evening when the sun go down When there is nobody else around She kisses me and she holds me tight And tells me daddy everything's alright So I know, yes I know and that was hallelujah i love her so and that's going to do it for episode 36 of the 1000 recordings podcast you can reach us on our website at 1000rp.blogspot.com. You can send us an email at 1000recordingspodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 1000rp. And you can join us on Facebook in our Facebook page. Um, we had uh, one email, uh, but I'm going to save that for, for when Brian is on the show because it was a question about uh, concerning um, the early days of recording and Brian really knows a lot about the history of recording so I'm going to save that for when Brian's on the show um, we did get another five star review cool so I'm going to read that right now I'm, I'm going to see if I can find that right now I'm... or do you want to read it do you want me to read it no no no, no you, you probably already got it you go right ahead okay um, it's come to, it comes to us from Bipod E 
And he says, if you think you've heard a lot of different kinds of music, think again. This podcast brings Tom Moon's great book to life, highlighting sections of artists from all over the world. You are bound to find numerous gems that you cannot believe you've never heard before. Anthony and Mitch bring their, uh, bring their distinct musical experiences to the discussion, often from a place of discovery themselves. Their passion for all things music combined with their comprehensive research offers listeners an excellent peek into genres, styles, personalities, periods, and places from across the spectrum. Highly recommended for anybody who wants to expand their musical horizons. Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. So thank you, Bipod E. Yeah, thank you. That was nice. Yep. Very nice. Um, Next week, we have more Ray Charles, like we talked about his country and Western album coming up. Then look at this second piece, another French opera. (laughs) 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 Yeah. um, I I can't wait. (laughs) Oh yeah, man. I I can't wait either. Mark, Mark Antoine Charpentier, his medier. Um, then we have uh, some Indian music uh, from uh, Hari Prasad Chaurisa. <laughs> I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. His uh, Raga Dabari Kannada. Uh, then uh, some electronic music, The Chemical Brothers. Yeah. Their I, album, I love, Dig Your Own Hole. Love that record. <laughs> yeah. And then some blues. We're going to end some blues. Clifton Shinye. Uh uh bogalusa boogie yeah that so, should be fun yeah yeah should be a fun show um yeah man anything any parting words before we take off oh man it's been good to sit down again it's been way too long i, I, know, I know it's just december november even too it was just bananas <laughs> i mean yeah we, we both obviously just kind of off air talk about a variety of things but you know life life gets busy you know definitely well you know uh hopefully we're back on schedule with this and uh we can uh start bringing you regular episodes and uh yeah it's good to be back man good to talk to you again about music and uh yeah man we will see everybody again next episode true have every uh have a great week everybody uh it's good to sit down and and talk with my podcast partner here and hope everybody has a great week uh See you in a few.
say now? Hey, what I say? What you say? Say hey. 